So we're going to start Wednesday nights. And so how many of you online in here have ever taken a personality profile? All right. Enneagram, Briggs Meyer, any of those, right? And, and how many of you agreed with the assessment of the personality profile? Okay. Some of you didn't. Some of you do, right? People do that. I mean, I interview people a lot and and one of the things that is constantly appearing now uh, in the interview, and especially on resumes, is somebody's personality test, right? Whether it's an Enneagram or whatever, whatever it is, they put their personality profile on the resume for me. It's a thing all the time now. With every every person I interview, I get that, right? Because somehow they think that that speaks to who who they are. The reality is that many of the things that we like or that we connect to has a personality, right? For example, this past weekend, I got to take my daughter and we went to Green Bay, Wisconsin to Lambeau Field to watch the Bears and the Packers. Yeah, yeah. Bucket list moment for me, right? To get to see Lambeau Field, devastating to lose to them while we're there, right? But everything about that place has a personality, right? You go and you can, I mean, we pulled, we were driving on the interstate. You could see it looming over on the right-hand side. It just screamed personality, right? When we got there on Friday, we went to Chicago and I wanted, I'm a, I'm a bucket. So I have a bucket list and it's not of places or things to do. It's of places to eat. All right. Because that's the only kind of bucket list you should have, Right. And so my bucket list consists of 50 restaurants that I want to go to. And one of them was in Chicago called Pequod's. Anybody? All right. If you love, if you love deep dish pizza and Chicago style, you should try it. It was on my bucket list. We got to go on Friday. The minute you walk into the place, you immediately feel its personality, right? You know what kind of place it is. And it was a great, it was a great experience. And the whole trip was like that, right? You can feel a personality. We pick our restaurants, not always because of the food, but because of the personality of that place and of the people that work there. Correct? Every church has the same thing, right? Churches have personalities. Would you agree with that? Right? They're not all the same, right? They're not cookie cutter. Right? Every church has a different personality. Well, Tomoka has a personality as well. You often just get exposed to it a little bit at a time through sermons on the weekend or whatever your involvement is. But many people don't really know who we are. So as we jump into 2024, which is crazy to say, right? As we jump into 2024, we're going to talk for two weeks about the personality of our church so you know who we are. Because this is what we do. And unlike a lot of churches, Pastor Joe, who's been here over 30 years, right? That personality has developed as, as a priority because of the way God has wired him and called him to do ministry here, right? And so we've been able to be a part of that and to sort of flesh that out a little bit as we've grown. So if you're a part of an organization, right? Some of the buzzwords that go with organizations are mission, vision, and values. Anybody ever hear of that stuff, right? When it comes to organizations, every place needs a mission, right? And then that mission needs a vision. How are you going to carry it out? And then the values that you put into place 
to make sure that you can carry out the mission and vision. That creates a culture that you work in. And the biggest buzzword in organizations and churches and in hiring today is culture. Is somebody a cultural fit? Well, the only way to know it is you got to know what the mission and the vision and the values are of that culture. And so for two weeks, that's what I want to do. I want to tell you who we are. Right. I want to tell you why we are who we are so that you get a feel for this, because maybe you're new and maybe you've set in and you think Tomoka's all about missions. Right. There's a million things that we're about. Right. And part of that has to do with what our personality is. And so I want to do that. I want to start by reading our text verse. Right. The verse on which our mission and vision is built. So I'm asking you to stand. We're going to read a few verses out of Acts chapter 15. So Paul was preaching the gospel to Gentiles and the Jews were having a problem with it. And so they began, the discourse begins in chapter 15. Some men came down from Judea, Jews, to Antioch and were teaching brothers, Gentiles. Here's what they were teaching. Unless you get circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with these people. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, right, of the Jews, stood up and said this. The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. You can be seated. So, Paul's preaching the gospel. Non-Jewish people are coming to faith. The Jewish people are saying, unless they add circumcision, right? Add this law of Moses, this custom of Moses to it, they can't be saved. Well, that created a problem, right? And the problem is discussed in that same chapter in verse 12, right? Peter tells them about his experience with the Gentiles. And then it says the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, who didn't believe in Jesus until Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, right? James spoke up and said, brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us, that's Peter, has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. Now he quotes the prophets. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. He says that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. That have been known for all the ages. Here's what James concludes, and this is Tomoka's theme verse. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not, say it with me, church, make it difficult. That's our theme, right? We're not to make it difficult for Gentiles, non-believers, who 
are turning to God, right? James goes on to say, instead, we should write to the Gentiles, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols because it caused believers to stumble and from sexual immorality, which is always, always a primary indication of disbelief or false teaching, right? And for meat of strangled animals and for blood. But Acts 15, 19 is the reason why we say this. We exist to make it hard for people to go to hell from this generation. Somebody say amen. And here's the reason. Our job is to not make it difficult. To not make it hard for people who want to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I don't know what your experience is in church, but as a pastor at times, you can become a little bit jaded as to how the church does it. All I know is it has been my experience that there's been many times that people who did not go to church and tried to go to church left church just as abruptly because of the experience they had with church people. Yes or no, right? Happens too often. Right. And so when Joe came here after several years, this became his thing. We want to exist in a world where it's not complicated for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have leaders that do not get caught up in some of the stupid things that people can get caught up in the church. You may not know this about Joe. Maybe you do, but Several years into Joe's ministry, there was a tussle about what the church was going to become. Been struggling with the same stuff that a lot of churches struggle with, right? Learning how to adapt to a new group of people, how not to get stuck on certain traditions, right? And they were fighting over whether we should keep an organ on stage or not. Do you anybody remember going to church during those days, right? If you don't, you should thank your God for that, right? But they were literally fighting over whether the organ should be on stage or not. So Joe called one of his buddies who owned a construction company. They came at night with a backhoe, dug a hole in the parking lot at Tomoka on Granada, carried the organ out, buried it in the ground and covered it up. When they gathered for church the following Sunday, people asked, where's the organ? Joe said, it's buried in the parking lot and so is the argument. That's your pastor, right? And from that moment, the church began to be built on the idea, we're not going to make it hard for people to come to church. Because can you imagine coming to church, trying to find Jesus, trying to be in one of those men from Teen Challenge, struggling with what you're struggling with, and coming to a church and finding out they're fighting over whether an organ should be on stage. Do you think they would have focused on caring about any of those men and their need for Jesus? No, never. Because that's all they would have focused on. And so from that moment on, the churches began to focus on that, right? So our statement, our statement is this. We exist to make it hard to go to hell from this generation. Amen, church? And we do that because we don't want to make it hard, right? We want to make it hard for your sons and your daughters, for your friends and your neighbors, for your family to come to church. Do you realize there were times in church where you couldn't come to Jesus if you were black? You couldn't come to Jesus if you're a woman who came to church in slacks. There was a time where you couldn't go to church and be accepted to accept Jesus if you had a tattoo, right? Because of those kind of things, do you have any idea how many tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people found it incredibly hard to come to Jesus? 
I don't think Jesus would have approved of that. Would you church? No, that's not, that's not the intent. The intent of the body of Christ is to lead other people to faith in Jesus Christ, not to get caught up on those things. So from our mission and our vision, right, we have values that we live by that are biblical based, which makes us different from other churches because other churches have other values. And I want to share those with you over the next two weeks to give you a feel for who we are. Because listen, if we're going to do this, as Jeremy so elegantly put it, every person in here and online that knows Jesus say amen, right? God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Do you believe that church? Right? And ultimately, every one of you who said yes to that, because you know that's God's purpose and plan, his purpose and plan for you includes leading other people to Jesus Christ. It's being used in those purposes. So we break our values down into three different areas. Here's the first set. Our mission values. Based upon these verses, listen to these verses. Matthew 28 says this. The 11 disciples, after Jesus' resurrection, went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some, still, the guy had been crucified, buried, rose from the dead, and some still doubted. Right? It says this. Jesus came to them, and here's what he said. This is before he leaves. These are his parting words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Based upon that authority, here was his command. Therefore, say it with me, go. Make disciples of what? All nations. And here's how you do it. Two things. You baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then you do what? You teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's pretty simple. Yes, church? Right? Jesus' command to the 11, right, was to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Two steps. Baptize them and then teach them everything I've commanded. It's not complicated. There's nothing about being a part of the church that's rocket science, right? If you're in here or online and you don't know Jesus, listen, let's be clear. Our desire is for you to find Jesus and accept him as your Lord and Savior. Somebody say amen. That's what we want, right? Places like Teen Challenge and other, other parachurch organizations exist for the purpose of helping the church reach certain kinds of people, right? But it's all got the same goal. You need to be baptized into Christ in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you're not baptized in here online, then the question is, what are you waiting for? And I'm not talking about a baptism that somebody gave you before you could make your decision. I'm talking about a baptism that you own because of your own faith in Jesus Christ. Being a disciple biblically requires you to be baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It also requires for you to learn all that Jesus has commanded you to learn. Which is why when people say, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. No, you don't. But you do need to be taught everything that Jesus commanded you to do. And the question is, where are you learning that? Because if you're not, if you're not, it's going to be hard as Kyle described in his testimony, you become a person that accepts Jesus and has no root and you fall away. Right? But the mission's clear to go into all nations and make disciples of them. Here's what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16. 
Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples this question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They want to know what other people are saying about him. It's one of my favorite exchanges in scripture. I find it funny that Jesus wants to know what other people are saying about him. He's God. He probably already knows. But I find it funny that he wants to know. Okay, I'm the only weird one in here, right? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. I tell other people say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus asked the question that we want to ask of every person, right? But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answers for the group. You are the Christ, the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus said this, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, right? But by my father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you're Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. And everybody online, everybody here, read this with me. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Listen, God, his intention is to build his church. Somebody say amen. Listen, when people talk about, Joe and I went to Bible college during an era where people thought if your church was over 150 people, you were teaching false doctrine because there was no reason why 200 people would be gathering at your church. Now, does that make any sense? No, right? Do you know that there are people today who still look down their noses at churches like Tomoka because we're, quote, what they describe as a mega church. And because we're a mega church, there's no way we're doctrinally sound. And yet, I wonder how they rectify that with what Jesus said. I'm going to build my church and everything that Satan has isn't going to overcome it. Somebody say amen. Listen, we live in a community, right, of 50, 60, 70,000 people. And we are a community of faith that's about 4,000 strong. Do you think we still have work to do, church? Yes, absolutely we do, right? But we know that the mission is to go into the world and make disciples. And we know that Jesus promised he was going to build his church. How about this one in 2 Corinthians 5 to make it personal to me and you. He says, all this is from God. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Anybody in here grateful that God chose to reconcile you to himself through Jesus Christ? Say amen. Right? He said, and here's what happened. He gave you and me the ministry. That word means to serve, serve right in this area of reconciliation. He goes on to say this. Here's what God was doing. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. How many people is God trying to reconcile to himself through Christ? All of them, right? That's what he was doing. And here's how he did it. He didn't count men's sins against them. Isn't that the testimony of these men from, from Teen Challenge? That God didn't hold their sins against them? I mean, of all of you online and all of you in here, where do you think you would stand with God if he held your sins against you? And how many of you, after accepting Jesus, think your standing with Jesus would be changed if he held your sins against you? Anybody? We'd be in trouble, yes or no, right? The only way reconciliation works is if the person 
that's trying to reconcile with you doesn't hold your mistakes against you. Somebody say amen. Maybe that's why some of your relationships aren't very good. Because as much as you say you want to forgive somebody, you can't. We say this. Forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation. Yes, it does. 100%. And here's the way it works. Forgiveness is about removing how many sins? All of them, which means reconciliation is a natural occurrence to forgiveness. You won't know that until you learn how to forgive. But reconciliation comes because God forgets our sins and removes them as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more. How many people in here online say amen to that, right? He was doing that for the whole world, right? And then the next verse says this, and God has committed to us the what? Not just the ministry, but the word of reconciliation. So what's that mean for you and me? We are therefore Christ ambassadors. You know what an ambassador does? An ambassador goes into a foreign country and represents a different king in a kingdom, right? We have ambassadors all over the world, right? They're there on behalf of the United States, right? Representing us to another country, right? It's a, it's a, it's a job that people covet, right? We are Christ ambassadors, meaning we're visiting a foreign country on behalf of a different kingdom. And here's what we're to do while we're here, right? He says, as though God were making his appeal through us, you and me, here's what we do. We implore, the word means to beg you on Christ's behalf, read it with me, church, be reconciled to God. That's our message. That's our message. And guess who it's for? It's for everybody who is new in Christ. If you know Jesus in here online, let me hear you say amen. Right? Which means you now have the privilege of being an ambassador. An ambassador for God, an ambassador for Jesus in a foreign country representing a different kingdom. And here's what he says you've got a ministry to do and you've got a message to speak. And what's the message? Don't come to our church because you have tattoos. Don't come to your church because you're black. Don't come to our church because if you fill in the blank. No, our message is this. We're begging you on behalf of God, right? Be reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. That's our message. Amen, church? He said, that's our job. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why? Because the power of the message is this. God made him who knew no sin, thank you, Jesus, to become, right, sin for us so that in Jesus, we could become the righteousness of God. So all of you in here, all of you online that know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, say amen. He says, you're now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Irregardless how messed up you are, how many mistakes you've made, Jeremy and Kyle who shared their testimony with you, they stand 100% righteous before God because of the work that Jesus did for them. Now you ask, you answer this question. How many people in the world do you think would be grateful to hear that message? Ten, a hundred, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions. The reality is if a church isn't focused on its mission, it's going to lose sight of its purpose. And the next thing you know, we're fighting over a piano or an organ. We're fighting over whether the communion table should stay up in the front or be moved to the back. 
We're going to fight over whether you should sit in a chair or whether you should sit in a pew. We're going to fight over whether you should bring a cup of coffee into the worship center or whether you should drink it in the hallway before you come. We're going to fight over whether you should preach in a suit or whether you should wear jeans and look cool and hip, right? I'm 60. You got to give me a chance, right? Instead, the message is really simple. We're going to beg you. We're going to beg you on behalf of God. Be reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. And that's just that mission. How about James 1.26? James says this, one of our theme verses around here. If anyone considers himself to be religious, right? Listen, being religious isn't a bad thing. But it's a bad thing if you don't live it out. If anyone considers himself to be religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his... Woo! Right? He or she deceives themselves and their religion is worthless. For some of you, that's the only reason you needed to come tonight. Because if, if religious is a part of who we are, right? And listen, religious is just the posture of honoring God for who he is, right? And our, and our direction of our life is focused on him. If that's who we are, then we have to put a tight rein on our tongue. Otherwise he says, your profession of faith, your religion is what? It's worthless. Do you know how many Christians, how many people go to church who make their faith worthless because when they leave church or even while they're in church, their mouth just gets the best of them and they say things they shouldn't say. It just makes it worthless, right? He goes on to say this, check this out though. Religion that God accepts, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Really simple. Look after orphans, look after widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You want a night to Mocha says, if you're a first world Christian, you should adopt a third world child. It's because of that verse right there. If you want pure religion, take care of a widow and an orphan in need, right? That's why we constantly put child sponsorship out in front of you because we want you to be a part of having a religion that absolutely makes sense. And then first John three, 16 through 18 says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. How many of you know that that's how, why God loves you? Say amen. Right? Listen, there's enough, there's enough evil. There's enough hurt. There's enough pain in the world for you to legitimately question at times, does God really love me? And I'm saying that as a Christian first. I've been through seasons of my life where I wonder how, how, how is it that God who loves me can let that happen to me, right? This is how we know love is because Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for who? Our brothers. He says this, if anyone has material possessions and sees this person in need, but has no compassion or mercy on that person. Here's what he says. How can the love of God be in him? Dear children, he says, we're not to love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. So listen, Tomoka has mission values. We exist to make it hard for people to go to hell from this generation because James says it is our conclusion we should not make it difficult for non-believers who want to turn to God. Somebody say amen. There are a million scriptures 
But here's what we say in our mission. Say that first line with me. We say, we say yes. And we say yes to a lot, right? We're, we, we shed a campus last year and set Palm Bay free. Thank you, Tomoka Christian Church, for your faithfulness to that campus. When we took it, it was dying. After your infusion of life and of your infusion of, of money, of your infusion of time, six years later, that church is now over 500 people having two services, and it's completely independent. Thank you, right? We went into it saying we want to rescue unhealthy churches and we want to make them healthy and set them free. Here's what the Bible says. When you're faithful with little, God will entrust you with much. So we got rid of one and now God's giving us two this year. So we're starting a campus this month in Bunnell at the elementary school. Pastor Kyle has done an amazing job. Our team is up there ready to go. We soft launch it right in in uh, January, we get a hard launch in February. And then as soon as we take our breath and have night to shine to a community that we've said yes to now for over almost a decade, we're going to launch another church in New Smyrna, right? And we're going to do that. And then when that's over, we're going to say yes to camp and to CIY. And then in the fall, we're going to say yes to a capital campaign so we can build a new building on property and extend our care of ministry with our thrift store and our food pantry and everything that goes with us. And that's why. Because we say what? We say yes. And why do we say yes? Because our mission is to make it hard for people to go to hell from this generation. Because God was busy reconciling the whole world to himself through Jesus. And he's given us the message of reconciliation. So how many people do you think we need to be begging on behalf of God for them to be reconciled to him through Jesus? All of them. And so we're going to say yes. And you're going to catch your breath and we're going to say yes again. And when you catch your breath, we're going to say yes again. Why? Because we know that if they don't know Jesus, we know What's at the end of that decision? An eternity separated from that love and from that savior. So we're going to say yes. And then we're going to say this. Say it with me, church. We're going to say, we're going to say more, right? I, I'll be honest with you. 14 years. And Joe is one of my dearest friends. 43 years. He wears me out. <laughs> wears me out. You should see the file folder I have of his ideas. You should just be grateful that I filter through some of them before they get here, okay? Because Joe would say yes and more to 10 things a day. And you know who he'd ask to participate in it? All of us, right? But we are going to say more, right? One of the goals of this new building is to take our office space Eliminate our office, move it into the new building, and create a second student ministry area so we can double the number of students that we reach with Jesus' gospel. Somebody say amen. Because right now, all we can do is reach about 115 students. Because every time we get 115 students in there, we're packed. You can't even move. And guess what happens when a room gets full? It doesn't keep growing. It shrinks. And then we keep bouncing back and forth. You know what's going to happen when we expand and double the space? We're going to reach 250 students. And there are over 8,000 students in middle school and high school in the Volusia County area. And we're only going to be able to reach 250. Do you think there's work to be done, church? Yes. We're going to say yes. And we're going to say more. And then we're going to say this. We're going to say, 
we're going to say now. There's not one committee on our church. Not one. If you're coming and you're looking to be a part of committee, you're going to be really disappointed. We have zero committees, right? We have a group of elders, right? We have a lead pastor and an executive pastor. That's our leadership team. We entrust so many decisions to our staff and to our ministry leaders, but we never meet. If there is a need in Haiti tomorrow, we will have no committee to decide how we support it. Why? Say it with me, church. We'll say what? And we'll say and we'll say, and so Joe, without conferring with the elders and without his executive pastor, will stand on stage and say, we've made a commitment of $10,000. And you know what everybody else in the leadership team will say? Absolutely. And you know what you've done for all these years? You've said yes. And you've said more. And you've said now. You have no idea. The impact you've made in people's lives because of that. And listen, I know life is hard. I've got five stinking kids and nine grandkids. I live in the same world where everything is going up. And there's no way that pay raises, especially in a church, can keep up with inflation just like you. And I know that everything that I make comes from people like you who are willing to give and to be faithful to God. But I've also had the privilege of traveling several places around this globe. And see the impact that a church will say yes and more and now has. I know there are, I know there are places locally that only exist because of the generosity of a church that says yes and more and now. And the only reason you do it is because at some level you agree that our job is to make it hard for people to go to hell from this generation. And you know, you know innately because of the Holy Spirit, God has called you for that purpose. God has called you for that, that time. It's just like what Mordecai said to Esther when Esther was hesitant to go to the king and tell her about the plot of Haman to kill all the Jews when she herself was a Jew. And Mordecai said to her, do you think that because of who you are, that you're going to escape this wrath? And he said to her, how do you know that God hasn't put you right here for such a time as this? We talk all the time now about how terrible our world is and how terrible our nation is. And I say to God, thank you. Because Tomoka Christian Church, how do you know that God hasn't put you here for such a time as this? I don't know about you. But I don't want to be a part of a church that argues over a piano. I don't want to be a part of a church that argues over what color the building should be painted. I want to be a part of a church that says three things. Yes, more, and now. Because we know that the only hope this world has is to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Amen, church? Next week, we're going to finish out personality profile of who we are. And then we're going to step into a 10 week series on the 10 commandments. So let's pray. Father, I'm very, very grateful. I'm just humbled. I'm humbled beyond measure. Every time I pull into this parking lot and see the faithfulness of so many people. God, I pray that you would continue to grow your church. And I pray that along the way you would give each and every person who's participating in this mission a glimpse 
a glimpse of what you're doing and the eternal impact it has. There is more work to be done now than ever before in our nation. Our nation is growing blind and growing deaf and growing hard to the gospel. And yet it's places like Tomoka. It's places in other churches that are alive and they're vibrant with the spirit of the Lord and the truth of your word. So God, we're grateful for such a time as this. Keep us focused on our mission. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church.